Welcome back to another episode of the Med Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliveira. And on this show, we highlight the example of outstanding physicians of color with the hopes of inspiring you all, the listeners, to pursue careers in medicine. And I'm here joined with me today by Dr. Zuri Morel. Dr. Morel, how are you doing? Fine. How are you doing, Justin? You know, I have no complaints. I'm really glad that I got to have you on the show today. Um, I've been inspired for a while by your platform and everything that you do to advocate for, you know, colorectal surgery and colorectal cancer prevention. So I'm really excited. Um, we'll get into the intro if that's cool with you. All right. That'd be great. That'd be great. Dr. Zuri Morell is a double board certified colorectal surgeon currently based in Los Angeles, California. Born and raised in Los Angeles, he graduated magna cum laude from Morehouse College with a BS in biology and obtained his undergraduate medical education at UCLA. After earning his MD, Dr. Morrell stayed at UCLA to complete a residency in general surgery, being named chief resident. Upon finishing residency, he completed two surgical fellowships, one in laparoscopic colorectal surgery at the UC Irvine Medical Center and one in colorectal surgery at the Cedar sinai Medical Center. Dr. Morrell is currently an attending surgeon in Cedar sinais Division of Colon and Rectal Surgery, where he also sits on the board of directors and serves as medical director for outreach and quality integration. Alongside his clinical accomplishments, he has published dozens of papers on colorectal surgery, surgical education, and quality improvement while being an active advocate on social media for GI health and colorectal cancer prevention. How's that sound? <laughs> so, thank you. That's pretty good. I have uh, one correction is... Uh... When I did my residency, it's a place called Harbor UCLA. So Harbor UCLA is still attached to UCLA, but it's the county. Okay. And the reason that makes a difference is because, especially uh, at a lot of county hospitals, you come in contact with a lot of population of the underserved. And I think that that kind of informed my uh, uh, some of my thoughts about outreach and things gotcha. of that nature. For sure. Thank you for making that distinction, because I did not know that. And I think that's definitely something I want to come back to later in the conversation. So thank you. Yes, sir. So to get started, we're going all the way back to the beginning, talking about your background and how you first got introduced to medicine. So to start, could you tell me about your life growing up? What did your neighborhood look like? What was your home environment like? And what were some influence that you had as you were coming up? So, you know, I, I always love to say that, uh, you know, when you grow up and you want to be a superhero and then you, you try to fly, you jump off the roof and you may break your arm or hurt your leg or something, you realize you can't fly, but you still want to kind of save lives, you know? So, so that's, that's kind of where, where all of this started. So my parents, uh, I had my mom and my dad. My parents got divorced when I was about seven or eight. But, you know, back then, my, my dad was like a novelty because uh, a lot of people, when they got divorced, the father would be like every other weekend. And then the mom would usually keep the kids most of the time. But my dad insisted that, you know, I did one week with my mom. My sister and I did one week with my mom and then one week with my dad going back and forth. And that and my parents always, you know, they remained friends. I mean, or, or civil, at least. And then they became friends again later. But I always feel like I had both of my parents. Now, both of them were social workers. They started as social workers. Uh, my dad was raised in Compton. My mom was initially from Louisville, came out to L.A. And, uh, you know, as the child of social workers, you know, my parents were pretty, pretty liberal and pretty focused kind of on, on community needs, community outreach. Um, they had a friend who, uh, Dr. Randy, Edmund, who was a pediatrician. OK, so a lot of my, my parents' friends were, were pediatrician, lawyers, things of that nature. And every time he would come over to the house, he would just hang out with me. Uh, ever since I was a kid, he'd just hang out with me and, and kind of, you know, ask me about anatomy, you know, show me how to use a stethoscope, things of that nature. And ever since then, you know, I wanted to be a doctor. And the truth is my mom was always just like, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a doctor right now. Um, so I ended up being like the first medical doctor in my family. 
but it was just very interesting. Like my mom was so intent on this. I'll never forget the story. My mom was the sweetest woman in the world. She unfortunately passed away about a month before I graduated med school because of a long battle with breast cancer. But my mom was so serious about this that when I was growing up, I was, I, you know, was playing football. My mom and I played football, tennis, and I did water polo. My mom was usually the most supportive woman in the world. However, when it came to football, I'll never forget. I, I was, you know, going to this little, uh, this little private school, and I was the only one I could catch over my shoulder, right? Football, over, you know, over my shoulder. And uh, I never forget on the first game, man, I broke away. I'm actually in the end zone. I'm like looking at the quarterback. Quarterback's looking at me, throws a ball. Literally, I catch it, and I don't know what happened. I just dropped the ball, and my mother stands up. Boos me. Okay, <laughs> it goes to the car. She left you? That's a true story, man. After that, I, mean, the next I got cracked and I was like, man, I'm not doing this anymore. So I asked her years later, I'm like, mom, always was so supportive. Like, that was just me. And she goes, I didn't want you to break the surgeon thing. That was always her thing. So she, you know, nothing like your mom's not, not supporting you that will make you do a, a million crazy things. So, so that's kind of how I grew up. And and I always thought that a doctor, even though you know, I met pediatrician, I just assumed that a doctor was a surgeon because, you know, I wanted to do everything. Like general surgery was really uh, neat to me because at the time, you know, you have to learn, know about medicine, you have to know about medicines, and you have to, you know, know how to operate. So that's what I always used to say, which I think is is that I want to be a doctor, I want to be a surgeon. Um, I think uh, that was good and bad because I never really explored you know, I never explored anything else. I, uh, and uh, I think it's worked out great for me because I'm very happy with what I do. But, but I would tell people that if you don't know what you want to do, then you don't, you know, you, you know, stay open, you know, stay open. For me, I was, I was blessed because this is just what I wanted to do. And I used to think that this was the only way you can end up being a doctor, that you had to know what you want to do at a young age, but that's not true. I mean, I've met so many other people in my career were positions who took different paths you know they were teachers or they were english majors or, or things of that nature for me the only uh and we'll get into this a little later the only regret that i think i had with my decision was that i was always in such a hurry like i always wanted to you know four years of college boom four years of med school six years of residency and i did two fellowships we'll get into that why i did that ultimately but i was always in a hurry and then once you so the, the one thing I missed out on was like doing a year abroad, something like that. I wish if I had to do that all over again, I would I would do that. However, um, I would also encourage you, you know, and your listeners to. And this sounds corny now, and if you would have told me the same thing when I was at your level, I'd probably be like, yeah, whatever. But the truth is that you're going to have a lot of time to be a doctor. You're going to have a, a a lot of time to build your practice and all that. So just the freest you will ever be you know, the freest you'll ever actually be. And I was even more free in med school, believe it or not, than I was in undergrad. Because undergrad, you're all stressed trying to get in, trying to get Grades. <laughs> yeah, grades and all that. And when you get to med school, it's funny. My med school at UCLA was pass-fail. But yeah. you know how hard that is. I mean, it's not like, I mean, everybody's still shooting for the best because you don't know exactly. what that line is. Exactly. Smart people, right? Exactly. So, but I remember <laughs> I had, like, loans at that time. And that was the last time in my life that I had money just for me you know what i'm saying just like <laughs> like where i could be selfish <laughs> you know what i'm saying with it right yeah. i'm married I'm with kids and all that and uh but but i just you know i made great friendships and morehouse was amazing yeah we're, uh, we're definitely going to talk about that we're definitely going to yeah, talk yeah, yeah. And, yeah and so i mean bring it full circle back to how i back to how i grew up it was really important for me to stay in la and now 
all the family friends that my parents have, I'm like taking care of them now. So it's it's just really interesting. Uh, That's awesome. I think I have put a lot of pressure on myself, and and uh, you know, I was always growing up. I mean, my parents were like old school. You know, I, I never got a, a lot of whoopings or whatever, but maybe like three or four. But um, but I always wanted to. My, my dad used to always tell me, if you want to be successful, you have to do. You have to be, you know, get better grades. And you have to be smarter and you have to try harder than your white counterparts just to get the same shape. Okay. And he was just drilling that in constantly, constantly to the point where, where like nowadays, it's funny, I have daughters and, uh, you know, now it's, it's kind of mean to do half the stuff he did, which is, you know, he, he would, if I got a A minus, for instance, on a, uh, on a test, right. I'm like, Hey dad, I got an A minus. My dad's like, Oh, did anybody get an A plus? And I'm like, yeah, some people do those things. Why didn't you get A plus, right? Like he, he was always like that. I kind of temper that now with my kids where, you know, they're like, dad, I got an A. I'm like, well, what'd you miss? Did you miss any? And then let's just talk about what you missed. You know, my dad would always say, you know, do your best. My mom would say, do your best. And they would always tell me that, you know, I'm blessed enough that my best, uh, if I really could look at myself in the mirror and do my best, then I was able to kill things. You know, I was able to, to, uh, my best happened to be what, be an A or, or you know whatever it needed, whatever it needed to be. I was more after the third grade. Like my parents had to tell me to anymore, just because <laughs> I was I was hard enough on myself. You know yeah. where, where uh, they didn't really have to. They never had to worry about my grades or anything like that. You know they were more. They started to become more concerned with uh, like why are you doing an all nighter in fifth grade or fourth grade? You know things of that nature. I, I was a in I was fourth a nerd, grade. Man. Yeah, man, in I was fourth a, grade. Well, yeah, because in fourth and fifth grade, because I, I did really good in school except for handwriting. Okay? Uh-huh. My handwriting was horrific. Uh, you know, they had to give me a C just because they didn't want to give me a D. But they used to have these pins. I'll never forget my first all-nighter, fourth grade. I had to write up uh, like a, a story, short story, but it had to be at least like 10 pages. And um, I have a, they used to have this erasable ink pen. It just bleeds all over. So not only was I writing horrific. Right. This is before you guys, everybody had computers. Right, 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 right. When I went to college, we had to get a word processor. Like we didn't even get computers, you know, in, in college. So, so anyway, I'm writing, and when you write with a, an erasable pen, like your hand tracks, and then it just smeared everything. I never get my dad got home at eight o'clock, and I gave him the the uh, the uh, blue book or whatever, and he's reading it, and he's reading the story, and he's just shaking his head. He's like, he's like, man, this story is awesome. I can barely read it. So you can do what you want to do. But if I was your teacher, it would just like your story is great, but it has to be super great. So I was like, I mean, you know, mind control, right? So I just stayed up all night rewriting because I was like, hell no. You know what I'm saying? Like I gotta do, I gotta, you know, I gotta do this. So so that was more of a that was more of, you know, um, kind of like how how I grew up. I mean, my father, it was very interesting because I used to, and he hates it when I say this. But I used to be afraid of, and it was really like more of afraid of dis of disappointment, you know. But it's still kind of afraid, like oh shit, dad's home, right? And I hope I can talk freely here because I yeah, feel yeah, like yeah, yeah. whatever you it's want for me to be able to talk like this. Because when I grew up, I always thought doctors were, you know, you a lot of us, and I know you know this. You have to when I'm comfortable, I'm me. Yes. And with everything else, I'm still myself, but I'm just a more uh, reserved, you know, uh, reserved person. And I think a lot of times. Us especially, African Americans, Latinos. A lot of times we we think doctors are supposed to act a certain way, 
And so if we don't always act that way, we don't think we can be doctors. And I can tell you whether you're Caucasian, Asian, Black, um, you know, uh, Black, Latino, doctors. I mean, I have buddies of all races who are doctors and nobody is the typical doctor. Okay, nobody's that like stuffy all the time. And, uh, you know, the best doctors, especially doctors my age, I'm 47, but I really, it's important that you have a, a wide range of interests, a wide range of experiences, but also I talk to patients as an equal right. and uh, as opposed to looking down. And I think that that is also something that is definitely unique, especially unique to minority doctors, because we've always, I think with our families and everything like that, we've always been able to kind of, uh, we've always kind of had to explain things, right? I had to explain things so that so that family members, I mean, I, my family's educated, but still what I've learned is that you can be educated in one thing, but you're not educated in something else. Yes, sir. I've always had to explain things, right? right. And that's actually helped me tremendously. So bringing that all around, uh, my dad and I ended up becoming best friends like in high school. So in high school, um, once, you know, I started living with him all the time, actually. And my mom, I would go, I would go during like the evening and then I'd come back home during her week. She was also bad with breast cancer again. And, uh, you know, I was, she was insistent, you know, that, that I would go to my dad's house at night because she didn't want me, she wanted me to do work and focus not on her. Okay. And then we became best friends. So I think that that's the biggest thing that has helped me, um, or that has, that has kind of informed me was the fact that I had, you know, not only two parents, but I also had a father that was a strong father figure. Okay. And so I think that that is really, I was blessed in that respect. I also had uncles. I had so many family, like a, a lot of my dad's friends didn't have children. So like they would come over all the time. So I had, I had a plethora of what I imagined like the Harlem Renaissance was, you know, I had a, a plethora of, of people who are African-American who had a, uh, who had different experiences to kind of inform me. Now, that being said, that being said, you know, I went to school initially, I went to these small private schools where I was the only black person, which a lot of us feel like that. And it's amazing because despite all these role models, for whatever reason, you start feeling, you know, people do different things to make you feel kind of lesser than whether that's their intent or not. Right. And several experiences, I never forget, I'm at, a, I'm at school and I mean, my parents did, did well i thought at the time right like they were you know they made probably about you know eighty thousand dollars which is a ton of money to me and i'll never forget uh some guy was asking well, what did your parents do this is a, a kid in my i think this is sixth grade or something and i'm like oh social workers and he was like oh how much do they make and i'm like it's late i'm like 100 grand you know oh both of them i'm like i don't like together he's like oh that's nice you know my dad makes half a million dollars and i'm just like and and <laughs> You know, and it's like, and I don't know why that matter. You know, that was that was right. you know one thing. Secondly, right. Right. my sister who went to school with me, they would call her like Pepsi. Wow. Oh no, they would call her because she's brown, right? They like they did that, and I, you know, and and it was kind of like those things. We had yeah. a, um, a teacher who was like ninety years old, who was a fifth grade teacher, who actually said, "This is when my I really saw my parents, and this is when the blessing of the kind of job your parent has can kind of." influence you and if your parents can't get off work it can lead you in a whole different direction so she said her grandmama owned slaves and they were actually happy being slaves i'll never forget it. she's telling the story because we're writing so i tell my dad my dad's like did, what he comes down to school this is your guidance counselor oh no 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 it wasn't a guidance counselor. it was a fifth grade teacher 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 my fault. teacher and so i'm like well dad she said her slaves were happy you know what i mean so 
so he had to go to school. You know, we had a whole conversation, um, uh, the teacher, the principal, everybody, you know, and I ended up doing a uh, report on, on Abraham Lincoln. And I never forget Abraham Lincoln, right? My dad, you know, a great man, Abraham Lincoln. And it's funny because my dad was doing the uh, teaching the true history to me before anybody else was. You know, Abraham Lincoln even says, I would not have freed the slaves if there was any other way I could do this. He, he um, Frederick Douglass was a friend of his and he just didn't think he was that smart, right? And they used to argue about it. Right. So, you know, I was writing reports about these kind of things and, and these teachers were like, no, is that true? Is that true? You know, so so my dad is the one who kind of instilled that that pride in me. But even so, when you're the only one, it kind of, it, it affects you. And it affects you sometimes like the, the compliments would even be, Oh my God, you're so awesome. You're right. different from the others. Right. You know what I'm saying? Or like, like you're, I never forget this, man. Both my parents are black. And when I did really, well, obviously, right. And when I did really well, I never forget like white people would say, Oh, what do you mix with? What, like, like, I just can't be black. You can't, you can't be black. You can't be yeah, black. I just can't be black. Yeah. Right. Like you have to be mixed with something. And so it's, so you start, you know, you, it just over time, that's just very, very, uh, it's kind of very demeaning a little bit, you know, and and so um, when I transitioned to from a private school to high school, okay, my dad uh, and my mom used to always say, well, we want you to get a real world experience, right? But I ended up going to Pacific Palisades High, right, on the beach. You know, I went to school with like Will I Am and uh, who else was in my school? It was Will I Am, a bunch of actors and a bunch of other people, right? But it's it's like, you know, and I never forget because all the black kids, I took a bus. All the black kids sat on the line. All the Asian kids sat on the in the uh, lunch tables. White kids were here, and it was amazing to me how, like, because I was in classes with all white people, I like, knew everybody, right? So then, so then back then, a lot of the black kids were like, "Well, you you speak white or you act white." Like it was, it was you were getting it from both sides, you know. And something that that really I think made a difference when I transitioned from from a public so from the private school to public school automatically. They tried to put me in classes like these remedial classes just suddenly. So I never forget because I came home in ninth grade and I told my dad, I'm like, yeah, they're talking about addict. Like we're doing addition in ninth grade. Yeah. Now, luckily, my parents were, were like supervisors at the time, so they could take off work, right. take me down to school and raise hell and put me in all my APs and my honor classes. Right. That was something that if I never even mentioned it, number one, and if they could, let's say they had jobs where they couldn't take off. Right. Right. My life would be in a totally different direction. No, that's definitely a blessing. That people don't understand about even playing fields and all of this is that. Why was I automatically putting in class? I don't know. I think right. we know. I think we know, but you know. No, but it, right, exactly. I, I, and at this point, they must look zip codes like it's just, it doesn't make sense. I wasn't even offered a test to test up, right? So once, you know, that happened, I remember that um, the only, <laughs> and I'm sharing this because I, I want to keep it real. Because I ended up, all this process took about six to eight weeks, right? So I entered algebra two, was it algebra two or something? Because I'd already done geometry. It was one of these classes. I ended up doing a month late. Dude, I ended up with a, something, a D in the class, bro. A month and a half late. I, like, lost it. And that was probably one of the, and it's funny to say that now, considering how life, how important life is. But at the time, and that destroyed right. um, my My cousin, who was like my brother, had gone to the same high school and he got a bad grade and his parents talked about it. He blew his brains out, shot, killed himself. Yeah. The same school I was going to, the same age I was when this happened to me. And uh, 
I because of so I was kind of depressed about that. And then you you know you get to real life, you realize that's not a big deal. The reason I bring this up is that it you know I was depressed for like a week, and then I tripled down on it, meaning that my parents went back to school. Was like this is BS. You guys put them in here late. Like, they were like, well, if he can take this class and do a condensed version uh, over four weeks in summer, wipe that out, give them that grade. But it's like four weeks, right? Oh, six weeks. I killed it, man. I studied all the time. Killed that. Ended up becoming a TA for that class the next year in high school. Okay, while I'm doing my, my all my other work. And so, I think, you know, we all take L's. We all take losses, whether they're our fault or external faults. But, but it's like, you know, my favorite rapper is Jay Z, man. He always talks about, you know, even if it's a if if I lose, but I learn from it, it's not really a loss, which is what I teach my I teach my kids also. And so I think that has to be your paradigm, but it's also all I had to do was study. I didn't have to work. I had food on the table. I had two houses. I had clothes. Like, so, so I never look at like, why can't you do what I did? Because circumstances are different. Man, I've mentored young guys who, you know, these pets have to work and they're like 14. You know what I mean? Like they, like their lives are, when you're worried about food and safety, all this other stuff is, is a different story. Aside, you know? Yeah. So I never try to say that my experience is easy to comp to replicate, but I'm just telling you what, what mine was. Right. And the last issue was very funny. So I was intent on going to a Ivy League school, right? My dad wanted me to go. My mom, and, and this, you know, was like, oh, I think you should go to HBCU, even though she never did. And I'm like, you know, I'm in class with all these white cats. I'm, you know, like top of my class. And I'm like, and everybody's like, Yale, Brown. I'm never forgetting. I got accepted to Yale, Brown. I guess every Ivy League I applied for except Harvard. And uh, which still pissed off about. But anyway. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, without Harvard. But then my mom was insistent. She's like, Zuri, you got to go to this program at Morehouse where you stay for a week. I'm like, Morehouse? Morehouse? I don't even know what that is, right? And this is true. I didn't even know what it was. And um, she sent me down there. And it's funny because Morehouse... Spellman, Clark, and uh, Morris Brown at the time were, you know, in Atlanta and it was in the hood, man, like projects everywhere, which a lot of Ivy League schools are also. But man, my dad, my dad grew up in Compton. I never forget, my dad took me down there and for that for that uh, week session, you never even, you went to campus one time and you stayed in a hotel and people just came and talked to you and then they took you to Spellman and you were like, wow, right? All female school Spellman. And it was the first time in my life, it, it's like when, uh, there's this old comedian, man, that Richard Pryor, which you probably haven't seen a stand up because you're super young, but he talked about <laughs> how he went to Africa and he saw like black pilot, like everybody's black, right? And, and for me, going to Morehouse and I saw all us, you know, sellouts, you know, everybody spoke proper. Everybody was basically the, the you know, went through the same thing as me. We're the only one. So they got it from white people, spoke like they're quote unquote white. So they got it from black people. Like you, you feel like an alien. And then when you get there, you see all these people who are just like you. And man, I was like, I'm going to Morehouse, going to Morehouse, right? Got in. My dad was still so funny. My dad was like, no, you're going to Yale. You want this and the other. And then I got a scholarship for it. My dad was like, all right. I guess you're going to, you know, you can do that. He goes to drop me off at school, man. And, uh, Man, it's in the hood. Like, like yeah. I've never been. Yeah. Like, my dad worked with projects. I used to go with him to like give out cheese and all kinds. Of, this was in the projects, and it's just like this movie school days where the project cats hated. You know, I hate to use the word hated because most most people were proud of you, but there still was some tension because it was automatically assumed that we thought we were better than them. Right, you got a we're chance. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. 
what I what I try to explain to people all the time is uh, you know, and we'll, we'll get into some of this later, but all brothers, you know, all of us, you know, when I go give talks, um, and they're far away from my house, I put on scrubs when I drive back home. I wear a white coat. My white coat, no matter where I'm going, is always hanging in my window. So when police stop me, I, I could maybe, you know, what I'm saying I'm a, I'm a doc, right? And it's it's you know, the same thing with everybody. I always tell people, Puff Daddy's son is a multi-rich, but guess what? We're all, when we get stopped, we're all, we're all black, don't matter if I'm a doctor, lawyer, whatever, right? And so anyway, when I said to my teachers, I'm going to Morehouse, it was like, what? Like nobody could believe I wasn't going to these Ivy League schools. And man, that decision changed my life. That decision changed my life in so many ways because there, I finally got confidence, man. Like, even though I, I was secure in my in my brain, I wasn't secure in my person because I always felt like an alien. Right there, I, I felt like like it was the first time in my life where, I, like, I didn't see. I, you know, I live in a multicultural environment where I'm the only one. I didn't see a white person for three weeks, three weeks, and it was it was interesting because every brother I met was just like me, and it just gave me so much confidence. And my dad was always afraid that when you go to a black school, this isn't a black world. You know, yada yada. You have to know how to cope. Well, Morehouse gave me so much confidence. You know, not only did I get the scholarships there, but as I was talking to you before we started, they had me apply for a different scholarship where I had basically two scholarships. Uh, I got, there was a guy, Dean Block, the guy rest his soul, who made sure Morehouse at the time had the number one rate of African-Americans to med school because of relationship. I had to go do research at Yale for a summer. I did research at NIH first summer, I did research at UCSF first summer that Morehouse made me do. I got paid to do it and they made me do it. And that set me up for, for great things to the point where when I do go to med school, and like I always was like, okay, now I'm gonna go to UCLA for med school. And everybody's like, you know how hard that is, but it's just, I was like, I'm going to UCLA for med school, right? So I just, I didn't realize how competitive it was, but it, it wasn't a problem because I never forget, I went home my senior year, I think I went home for Thanksgiving. And I had applied earlier, and they just wanted to meet with me then, met with me, and I got into med school like December 1st, okay? So, so when I started medical school, I was like vice president of my class, hung out with everybody. All the black kids I, I met there who were, went to Stanford, went to UCLA, went to all these places, would come in like, I don't like white people. And I'm like, you don't like white people? Like, I'm the one who went to a black college. And they were like, well, why are you hanging out with these people? And I'm like... Because whatever, I knew who, you know, I know who I am, but I, and so I would talk to them because we all, I became like MMA president and everything. And they got treated so badly at these schools where they were shut out of like, of, um, they were shut out of like study groups. They didn't get the old test. So they came with, you know, feeling like they got crapped on. And me, I was just, you know, I was the guy with all the tests in Morehouse. You know what I'm saying? I had all the old tests I would give to people. So for me, it really, uh, I say all this to say that what you do sometimes it may not make may not make uh, even your parents happy. Okay, when you're on the right track, I'm not talking about you know any, any illegal bad things. But I'm talking about just whatever you want to do. And I knew in my heart at the time when I went to Morehouse. I mean, when I was going to go to Morehouse, that that was right for me. My father, who I loved to death, was like, no, you know, no, it's not. But I had to do what I wanted. To do. I had to do what I felt at the time. Um, my mom wanted me to go there. And I thank her, you know, I pray and thank her every day because that was the most influential part of my life. I'll never forget when I graduated Morehouse, I did not make another black friend, bro, for like, no, seriously, like, 
because I wasn't around, right? I didn't meet somebody who's like my my best friends. I still talk to these Morehouse cats like every week, right? I did not make another black professional friend for like seven years. Seven years, okay? Because you know you're just not around that a lot. You know you're not around us a lot. So, so I would say that the first part of my life is is number one, take advantage of every opportunity. It's hard because you don't know what opportunities are. Like I didn't know talking to Dr. Evans when I was a kid was actually an opportunity. He was just a parent's friend. You know, he's just a friend. So, but the first time I think I made that decision that I went against the grain, despite everybody I respected who told me to do something else was choosing Morehouse. And so that that's the first thing I think that that helped make me successful. And then when I was there, when I was there, I, you know, I I, I talked to people, I found mentors, and they like shepherded me through. And and that's something else I would say, because by the time you go to undergrad, you're old enough to know to take advantage of it. And that's we, what you we go, we're going to end the talk with a whole 10 minutes talking about mentorship. OK, all right. Good, good, good. Glad you brought it up. You know, like there, I, I was just I was just sitting here listening to you talk because there were so many things that you said that I related to as you were talking about your early life and coming up. Yeah your parents getting divorced, you know, your experience being the only black man, the only black person in your school, um, getting that, all the microaggression that you have to yeah. go through, you know? Right. And we again, didn't have that word back then. It was just, you know, yeah, it wasn't even yeah, like, yeah. like you that's just not go, racist. You just we didn't go, have the word microaggression. Yeah. I didn't even know, you yeah. know what I mean? But you're absolutely right. If I had a dollar for every time somebody said when I was in elementary, middle, and even high school, like, oh, you know, like you can read really well. You're not black. Right. Like, I, I could so pay for well. my tuition. Yeah. You speak yeah. so well. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's crazy. Um, yeah. And again, my condolences to, to you for, for oh. your mother and for your cousin. I appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing that. Um, yeah. So now switching gears a little bit, talking about, we talked about, oh, you got, you, I had a bunch of questions planned. You answered most of them already, but I definitely, I, <laughs> I mean, talk a lot, baby. it's all good. Day. It's, I, it's, I think it's, over it's, day. It's all good. It's all good. And I'm glad you talked about your experience at the house. So I, I got to spend one semester there. I did an exchange program with NYU. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, yeah. So, and honestly, I like I, I I can definitely see just the taste of it. Um, right. That 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 thing that you said about it giving you confidence, because when I went down to Morehouse, like yeah. it was rough at NYU being the only you're the only black person in the bio department. You're the only one that's pre-med. Everybody right. else that comes in pre-med drops off. And then you go down to this place where everybody looks like you and everybody right. talks like you and everybody's studying to everybody's trying to get to the same place and they can relate to you. And it was just honestly, I, I credit that semester to yeah. me continuing and me not giving up on pre-med because before I went down, I was ready. Yeah, yeah. Right. Because um, it's the whole he's not heavy, he's my brother, man. Like, so it wasn't um it was weird because we're all competing, but it wasn't really competing in terms of like I need to get an A, you need to fail. It's, it's like the, it's a it's competing. a very different type of competition. Right, right, yeah. right. So yeah. it's really great. For sure. And all right, so we talked about all that. We talked about early life, we talked about your experience in undergrad. Um, let's talk about roadblocks and, and things that you yeah. had to overcome. And this can be college, this can be like standardized testing, but just some of the things that you had that were kind of struggles for you to get to medical school. So, I mean, you know, realistic for me, once, you know, once I got to, to Morehouse, actually, it was very interesting because I had happened to, you know, meet the right person who was like our dean to get us into med school. I think there have been so many roadblocks for okay. others. Wait, wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Real quick, because I this was a question that I had from before. Did okay. you take did you take uh physiology with Dr. Cook? Was he there? Yes, with... yes, yes. <laughs> you did that. Well, you remember Dr. McCray? Dr. McCray was the that <laughs> failed everybody. 
everybody because but Cook is great. Yo, Cook just died, man. Yeah, oh no, I didn't know that. Yeah, he passed away, man. But but yeah, so Dr. Cook is great. Rest right? in peace. Rest in peace. And uh, yeah, all right. I, I mean, he was awesome. And then there was Dr. McCray, and I guess he was my only challenge. This brother like liked to fail. Brothers, like like seriously, like it's it's crazy. Like everybody, but you know, there's always one. I had a lot of old tests because, you know, I was, I don't know, man, I think being nice and gregarious, people wanted to help, you know, and me and my boys, we crushed his test, we crushed it, and, you know, he couldn't help but give the most A's he's ever given in a class. That was the biggest robot. When you, when you meet somebody who, and, and come to find out the reason he was like this, so after all of this, right, I hated him, and the reason he was like that, number one is, you know, he wanted to be like a medical doctor, whatever reason he could he didn't and he became you know he's a phd super smart guy right but he also had been uh you know not to be an armchair psychiatrist or psychologist but he had kind of been beat down so bad and, and it's kind of like the abuser right like people right. who grow up at home where their mom gets beat they, they why would you ever hit a woman but those are like the highest chance of doing that and i think he was just he thought of himself as like weeding out guys Right. which to me was very anti-morals because you're supposed to try to help people lift them up. But exactly. that was probably my biggest challenge was I'm not going to let this cat, like I can't fathom failing anything, number one. Um, the second challenge also, and this is something that I think is important. I, I forget about this sometimes, is that when my first, uh, my first semester there, and it's funny, trying to, trying to fit in, right? I hated the first semester morals just because it was, it, like it was great to see us all the time, but you know it was cold and, and like it was Atlanta and it was just you know I'm, it, I'm it was it was cold relative to LA. Yeah, right. I'm, you, I'm you're small, talking so to I me. I'm Christmas. in New York and it's 20 right. degrees outside. All the New York cats, man. You know, like all the New York cats. You know when they're wearing shorts, bro. Yeah. I'm wearing like man. I I just need to go outside. Like I remember <laughs> it was like February or something or. Or January, and the sun was out. It looked beautiful, but I stepped outside like, nope. <laughs> I was just going. I couldn't, couldn't do it. Um, but I think that that was the other thing I had to overcome was I was doing really well in calculus or some calculus two or something, and this brother was in my dorm, sat behind me, and he wanted to cheat off me, and I didn't stop it. And I'm out of snitch, right? So I'm kind of like sitting like this, copying my stuff. I got a call from the teacher. Not a call. He saw me. He's like, come here. He's like, what is this? Who's cheating off who? I'm like, dude, I am not cheating. Yada, yada. And he shows me the guy. It's like, I know this guy. This guy was bigger than me. And this was like, you know, it's funny because all of us are nerds. But then you got dudes who try to be like gangster in college, like in Morehouse. It's like, come on, dude. This cat was from D.C. I walked in, man. Like the one thing about me that would make me snap is my grades, right? Like this dude is like, like you have to admit what you did because I, I, you know, I, I laid hands on this guy, man. And I'm a little nerd, dude. I, I literally, you know, walked in. He was with his friends. I told him, wall, like, man, you are not getting me kicked out of school. You need to go and then what you did, blah, 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 blah. So luckily, all that passed. But that's something else I want to tell you guys is that a lot of times we do things, and this is just a, a micro of a macro point. We do things to try to be cool or try to fit in, and that can screw us, right? Like, like I, I wanted to be cool. I didn't want to be like, you know, I told him no, but I didn't stop him. Right. right from doing right. this stuff and so that mistake almost cost me man that mistake cost me this sucks to to have a mistake where you were doing the things right but you know you 
you really have to choose, you have to think about things once you're in college, the long-term effect. How does this relate now? All you guys who are on social media and Facebook and all these things, my, my cousin, who's like my nephew, is applying to school. And I'm like, all right, uh, let me see your Facebook. And, you know, he has all these boys like N-word, this, N-word, you know, all this. Kind of, I'm like, dude, you need to scrub all of that. Like now when we interview people for med school, when we interview people for residency, we're like, hey, you're very nice. Oh, what's your social media? What's this? And you're like, you know, here it is. And then we have a whole team of people just going through that, you know, and this is any job you do. And so it, it's, you know, you can't like, eat, eat. not that you have to distance yourself. I, I knew cats, you know, who were, who were struggling, who were still in the hood and we're, I'm still cool with them, but I, I you know, I hang sometimes like they'll come to my house i'm not i'm just not out and about trying to you know get in trouble and, and there has to be a reason a way that you know you still keeping it real because the people who are really your friends if they're in that situation they want you to succeed like they won't let you hang out they won't let you do this you know and and so that is what i use when i tell kids about trying to be cool can, can end you in a lot of different ways and so those are probably the two the two biggest uh the biggest things I had to overcome in college. And it was really just getting that self-esteem, man, that Morehouse finally gave me. And, and it's not that Morehouse gave it to me, but I was willing to finally find within myself. You know, and uh, I do really believe that my self-esteem took a hit going to those other schools. But my parents, you know, it was a great education. You know, and if you survive it, it's, you know, it works out for you. I think a lot of other people probably have more, more, trouble, uh, more trouble with that. But, you know, I, I hate to say it, this is the most common aspect I find with us, with African-Americans, is that uh, who are very successful, we've all been through this, being something like this because you're always going to be, and I hope it's not always, man, I hope doing things like this, you know, right. you're, but right now you're always the only one, like, right. you know, and, and no matter how quote-unquote comfortable you are with that, the cats who are real comfortable with that, I feel like forget who they are, right. you know, and it's not how they speak, it's not how they act, and you may never know because it could be behind closed doors. People can say that maybe about me, but they don't. I, I'm so secure in myself. I know what I do. I know what all the kids I mentor. I know all the churches I speak. Like, like, and I'm a Beverly Hills surgeon, right? And I still have a lot of African-American patients. And I still, you know, I communicate across the board with everyone. And I right. think that, that you know, there's no answer for this, but knowing who you are and just trying to please yourself. You're, I tell my daughters, you, you try to do your best for you and your family name, straight up. I mean, that's, that's what I tell them. I said, and, you know, as long as you do your best, I'm never going to be disappointed. But anything that you know will bring shame. And like, if you don't think, if you have a slight inkling that it can bring shame on, on you, but you know it'll bring shame on your family, that means that's your little voice telling you not to do it. Do it. Do it. Right yeah. or wrong. And the yeah. only time we mess up is when we don't listen. We don't always listen to right or wrong, but if something bad happens, we know. In the back of our mind, we're like, man, I knew I should have done it. And you know, he's like, listen to yourself. Listen to your authentic self, I think is something that's big. For sure. Uh, man, thank you so much, man. I I'm sorry to hear about Dr. Cook. Rest in peace, man. Because that was one of, that was like not just my favorite professor at Morehouse, but like the the way that he, I'm sure, has changed the lives of so many black men that are going. Yes, into yes. yes. Rest, rest in peace, man. And he was he was awesome. And then the second biggest thing was girls, man. Finally, was <laughs> <laughs> so like I go to Morehouse. Said, girls, what people don't understand is girls, man. Like I, like I said, I was a you know I was a nerd in high school, and the thing that made me nerd wasn't the glasses and all this. I still ended up winning best dress in high school, but it was funny because all the white kids voted for me because I was the only black kids they know. And the black guys were mad I won. They were like, "Who's this dude? It's hilarious! Like you can't even win, even when I, even when we win, we lose, right?" So that was my, that was my experience in, in high school, but. I had like one girlfriend in high school. And then when I go to college, right, 
everybody's like, oh, Morales is all male. But what they didn't know, Morales is all male. Spellman is, is right all, there. Spellman is right there. Right. Martin right there. Right. And because of us, you know, a lot of our generations, you know, not in school or incarcerated, man, it was a 18 to 1 ratio. Because I think when you went, Morris Brown probably wasn't worked, wasn't yeah. there. Right? No. It was an 18 women to male ratio at the school. So, you know, I, I always had to remember because cats got caught up, man. Cats were like number one in their state, number two in their state. There's, I still got a brother, Reggie, who was number one in math in Mississippi. He still hasn't graduated. Got caught up, right? And uh, I had to realize that, and and this is for whatever you know, whatever gender you like, whatever. I think it works both ways. That more people will want you when you're focused and successful. Later on, that's the number one thing I had to remember. So you know, it was it was. Uh, it was, you know, tempting a lot of times, but I just remember, like, once I got into med school and these other and people knew I was on the right track, that's when it was, you know, that's when it was, it became amazing. And so I try to tell young young cats that, focus. Look, yeah, like focus because, you know, and it's not even success like money. Success to me is is being able to do what you want to do and not rely on anybody else. That's like success, right? I don't care what if you're, you know, a custodian and you take care of your stuff and you like what you do, that's that's success, right? So I think those are the two biggest obstacles are, and they're not obstacles. I hate to say that women are never, there's never an obstacle is your, how you deal with things. Right. You know, yeah. how, uh, right. And, and if you use other things to validate you, I think like some guys, you know, maybe that's what validated, what always validated me were just, you know, busting out a test like that, that validated, that validated myself to me, like in, in like studying, um, that thrill, that kind of uh, nervous energy you get before you take a test and then when you kill it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I love that. And, and I'll talk to you about later how that kind of had a negative impact on me after I was done uh, with school. Cause it's always like, what's the next thing, right? You have all these tests, you have all these things. So you got to find the next thing. But uh, those were the biggest kind of, uh, kind of uh, things I had to cope with in, in uh, college. But otherwise, man, it's still one of the happiest times of my life. Like I don't remember other bad things. I don't remember. Sure. And um, definitely, I'm trying to talk about your specialty, but before we get there, when you're thinking about either like as a medical student, as a resident, yeah. even as an attending, could you talk about some experiences where you either personally experienced or witnessed in the wards or wherever uh, experiences with discrimination? Wow, man. So first of all, when I applied to residency, mm-hmm. okay, I applied to Brigham and Women's. I was all excited. Okay. I'll never forget, man, the first interview, I sit down there and this guy's like, what makes you, you know, here at the Braille, we like special people. What makes you special? And, you know, I'm talking about some of my experiences, but he goes, no, no, no. Like, for you, if you could tell me you're like the best rapper in the world, then, and this dude's like a 78-year-old Caucasian. This is, this is as, wait, sorry, 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 sorry. This is a this, true story. This is as you are, you are about to graduate medical school and you're interviewing for your residency training. Yeah, I, mean, I flew to Boston for this, right? I'm interviewing at Mass General. I'm interviewing at Brigham at Boston College, okay? I'm in Brigham, the Brigham, as they like to call it. And uh, yeah, he actually sits there and says, well, if you're the best rapper, now I wanted to say, do you ask everybody that? But I know the answer. Right. I just looked at him. I'm like, no, I'm not. And, and literally... It was funny because my dad, I, I was so angry that I wanted to just roll out. Like I had two other interviews. I wanted to roll out. I was like, I'm not going. To. And I just remember something he said is that like, if I leave, nobody, everybody just looks like I, 
Right? It looks like like nobody ever know what this guy did. So what I did was I had my two other interviews. I killed it. And at the end of the interview, they have they were like each person was like, "Do you have any questions?" I said, "Well, you know, I thought I wanted to go here, but this other interviewer, doctor, whatever, asked me this question, and I thought it was I, I just I don't think I want to go anymore. Well, why didn't you why didn't you pivot this interview? I said because I wanted you to want." Just so, you, just so you know that I'm not going to stay here. Yeah, right, right. But I told him, I was like, dude, don't even match me. I, I was so, so that's one thing. And then, man, even as recently as, you know, I have all these titles and everything. And, uh, and this happened three weeks ago. Oh, hell no. <laughs> What's good, y'all? I want to thank everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Men Mentor Podcast. As y'all can probably tell from listening to the last episode, I had a little too good a time talking to Dr. Z and our whole conversation ended up going over by like an hour and a half. So for the first time in the Med Mentor podcast history, I'll be splitting up the episode into two parts. So tune in two weeks from now to listen to part two of Dr. Z's story, where we talk about how he handles experiences with discrimination, navigating his career as a leading colorectal surgeon and cancer advocate, and the role that mentorship plays in all of it. Until next time, remember to keep inspiring by example. Peace.